Eons past, a monstrous hybrid of land and marine reptiles was sealed into a state of suspended animation, slumbering through the fall of dinosaurs and the rise of man. But awakened by an undersea nuclear test, the creature returned to life, now breathing the fires of radiation. Stan Lee presents Godzilla, King of the Monsters! The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 65, Arena for Three, Godzilla King of the Monsters, issue number 11, June 1978. Hello again, time travelers. It's me, Ben, Ben Avery, and I am here to talk about your friend and mine, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Godzilla, issue number 11, hit the stands, March 7th, 1978, according to Mike's amazing world of comics. The cover date is, like all of these, June 1978, and our creative team, Doug Mensch, writer, Herb Trimpey, artist, Frank Kita, inker, Irv Watanabe, letterer, Mary Titus, colorist, and Archie Goodwin is our editor. And it's on the cover, we have the Battle of the Behemoths, and it's it looks like exactly what it's going to be. Uh, Godzilla is f- breathing fire at Red Ronin's head. Red Ronin is, uh, has the Yetragar in a headlock. And then you have four whitewater rafters heading toward the mess. That is what, I mean, that pretty much sums up what's going to be happening in this issue. Four whitewater rafters caught in the middle of a giant monster slugfest. Now, just real quick, to, to talk about the art. The art is the same. It's really strong. It's really good. And... You know, Godzilla still has his own look for this comic, and there's some elements of his face that almost look like a, I don't know, deformed goat or something like that. But, you know, truthfully, it's grown on me. And this Godzilla, I mean, he has his own... He's the comic book Godzilla. And just like there's the Hanna-Barbera Godzilla, which I, I, I enjoyed... As a kid, I enjoy now, not as much, more for nostalgia than anything else. But then you have that kind of evolution of Godzilla's look over the years on film. And so to have him look different for the comic books, it makes sense. The look itself is a little, uh, I don't know, too stylized maybe. It's very different. And it does take some getting used to when you're used to seeing him on the, on the screen. I don't think that this look is the look that you have to give him because it's a comic book. I don't think this look is even the look you have to give Godzilla because of the style of Herb Trimpey. I mean, this isn't like Carmine Infantino doing 
his specific style with human characters and giving them his caricature of characteristics or whatever. No, this is Herb Trimpey redesigning. And I'm sure he could have done a more traditional-looking Godzilla in his own style. But instead, he's he's redesigned, and he's he's given it this this design. And, and, you know, sometimes I look at it, and it's just a bit off, but it's always on model with what he started. So there there's... I mean, that's an important element, to stay consistent. And this, the artwork for Godzilla King of the Monsters has stayed consistent. And it's it's stayed strong. There has not been, I don't think, there's been a weak, weakly drawn issue of Godzilla King of the Monsters. So with uh, talk about the art out of the way here, the main thing I want to talk about is the story. And, you know, I've talked about what kind of Godzilla stories I like before. I like Godzilla stories, or really any kind of kaiju monster movie or, or story it, it has to be good but there's certain kinds of good that it has to be you can have a great slugfest and that's enough in some some regards but usually what i want in a godzilla movie is i want something to catch my interest i want the human characters usually to be doing something that goes along with what's happening with the monsters and in the not the previous issue, but the the issue before that, where it's Godzilla takes Las Vegas, um, that one hit perfectly as this dual storyline: Godzilla on one hand, and then the Gambler on the other hand. And for this one, we have kind of three stories running concurrently. We have Godzilla versus Yetragar and Red Ronin. Actually, I should say Godzilla versus Yetragar versus Red Ronin. They're all fighting each other. And they all have different motives as they are fighting each other. And then you have Dum Dum Dugan and Gabriel Jones and their own little kind of, it's almost like a, a, a mini road trip. And then you have four whitewater rafters, like I said, that were on the cover who get caught in the middle of the monster slugfest. So starting with Dum Dum Dugan and Gabe Jones, it's mostly just them interacting with each other. You know, the super helicarrier that they built, the behemoth or whatever it was called, it, it was crashed. Uh, you know, Yetrigar uh, brought it down. And so now they're dealing with it and saying, you know, there's a lot of repairs that have to happen. And, you know, this thing keeps crashing. Well, no, I guess, the, is this the first time it crashed? I don't know. But this it's been slowed down before. They have to keep fixing it. And, man... I'm just thinking the money that's going into this thing and it hasn't really had a chance to um, fulfill its mission and, and then they have to repair it again. That's not a bad thing, I guess, if you're trying to you know, build up some sort of protection. Um, this, you know, you got to sink money into the stuff that you want to use and so this is what they've chosen, but it's kind of uh, funny. I mean, between the helicarrier that was brought down in that issue with the champions and Hercules and Angel and them, and this and just all the the property damage that Godzilla and the other creatures have caused. I mean, we're looking at millions and millions of dollars that are being spent uh, to just run damage control behind the creatures in their wake. But I say it's a kind of a mini road trip because they then get on a little plane type of thing and they're going to follow Godzilla and Yetrigar while the giant helicarrier is being fixed by by the shield agents that are working on it and 
there's some, you know, it's interaction between the two of them. It's about uh, the, the main interaction is the Godzilla problem that I've talked about before that really stems from, I mean, I, I apply it to lots of different things, but it comes from how I noticed on the Godzilla cartoon, you know, every time they come across another monster, they're surprised. Like, that's not possible. It's not possible that there's a giant butterfly. And then they take out their remote control that they press a button and it summons, you know, a 30 story high lizard to come and help them. Like, you can't accept a giant butterfly while you're holding a remote control that calls Godzilla. And what's funny is that it's actually, uh, as they're talking about Yetrigar and the Yeti, Bigfoot, and, you know, is that thing really a Bigfoot? You know, it, it really could be. But it's so huge, and, and Dum Dum Dugan just can't accept it. And Gabe says, you know, <laughs> we're following a great big giant lizard that's only a few feet taller than this thing. And you can't accept that. And then Dum Dum Dugan brings up, you know, you probably believe in that Loch Ness Monster. And Gabe's like, well, maybe, I don't know. I mean, Godzilla's real, so why not the Loch Ness Monster? Uh, So it's, it's interaction like that, mostly. There's not a lot of ideological arguing in this one. You know, Gabe doesn't stand up for Godzilla and Dum Dum doesn't, you know, lay into Gabe for wanting Godzilla to survive. Uh, There's one other funny joke where uh, Gabe is piloting the little plane. He's like, they're going this way. I know they're heading toward the Grand Canyon. And and Dum Dum Dugan's, how do you know? Is some sort of psychic link or something? You know, being all sarcastic and snarky. And and Gabe's, no, I'm just following the footprints and the, the tail trail. So that's Dum Dum and Gabe. And, you know, they don't really serve much for this story, but they serve the over overarching story of, of the series. And then you have uh, Godzilla versus Yetrigar versus Red Ronin. The two monsters are battling each other, Godzilla and Yetrigar. And adolescent Rob Takaguchi is piloting this giant robot. He is connected to its nervous system or whatever you want to call it, its computer system that, that runs the thing. But, um, you know, he's his peaceful beliefs are going to just the extreme here. He's not a pacifist, but he wants to fight to stop the fighting. So basically, whichever creature is about to hurt the other one, he steps in and tries to stop it. But by doing so, uh, he causes Yetrigar to get in a good swipe at Godzilla. So Godzilla is weakening. Um, Godzilla gets in a good swipe against Red Roar. I mean, they're, they're fighting... But as he's trying to just stop the fighting and be the peacemaker, he must be a, a middle child or something. But he's an only child. So anyway, but as he's stepping in between them trying to stop it, he's weakening himself. Godzilla is getting weakened. But meanwhile, Yetrigar, he's getting in some good shots and he is the strongest of the three of them. And so it comes down to Godzilla is down and tries to protect Red Ronin every once in a while, but he's weakening Red Ronin is weakening, and Yetrigar is so strong that he can kill Godzilla. And so Rob has no choice. Rob's Red Ronin mech suit thing is so weak that the only way he can defend Godzilla against Yetrigar is that he must kill Yetrigar. Now, I'm trying to follow the logic here, and there is kind of, I guess, a childlike logic of 
Godzilla is my friend. Godzilla has helped protect me. I have protected him. We have at least some form of a bond here. And so the lesser of evils here is to kill the one that is not my friend to stop him from killing the one that is my friend. Now, if the tables were turned and Godzilla was trying to kill Yatragar, I don't think that Red Ronin or Rob would have made that same choice of trying to kill Godzilla to protect Yatragar. I, I don't know, because there's this kind of weird, I must kill the aggressor. And so that's why he's not a pacifist. He's not sitting back and saying no fight. He's, he's choosing to just stop one side from hurting the other, no matter which side is going at the other one. But when push comes to shove, in the final analysis, he says, I'm going to have to kill Yatrigar. Now, through it all, though, we're getting great slugfest art from Herb Trimpey. We're getting, you know, avalanches in the Grand Canyon. We're getting, um, I think, Red Ronin puts Yatrigar into, like, a, a full Nelson. Um, we're getting... A, a great battle set against the Grand Canyon, and it's it's a lot of just dynamic, brilliant art that the that, that Herb Trimpey is is creating here. And so you have on the one hand this kind of struggle, internal tension, but on the other hand you have this pretty incredible looking battle. Uh, so then you have the Whitewater Rafters. And these are that's our third story element here. And this is kind of, really, you have two parallel stories. You can take Dum Dum and Gabe out and wouldn't even notice. You could take the Whitewater Rafters out and you wouldn't even notice. But the Whitewater Rafters story cannot would, would not be what it is without Godzilla versus Jetragar versus Red Ronin. The Whitewater Rafters, they come around the bend, and suddenly in front of them is this giant monster slugfest. This is not a good situation. Whitewater rafting is already pretty dangerous. And there's some interesting statements that this is making. And I wasn't sure where this was going. Uh, And that's what made this, uh, I think, the story most interesting, is that I wasn't sure what they were doing with the whitewater rafters. At first, I think that it's just 70s sexism. All right, you've got the whitewater rafters. Two of them are men, two of them are women. And... As they come around and they're just saying, oh, hang on. Yeah, this is great. You all right? I'm fine. Hang on. These whitewater rafters can get pretty rough, especially for you girls. In fact, right around the next bend, there's... And they come around and there's the monsters and they freak out, which is quite acceptable. They all freak out. All of them. And then there's a mini avalanche that's caused that capsizes their boat. And (laughs) there's a panel of the three monsters, you look at them and you see them through the rocks, and then you see the four rafters just lying on the ground. And the caption says this, And when the raft comes to a bouncing, skidding halt on the rocky shore, four young people in search of safe danger lie all too still, having learned there's no such thing. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wait, did, did they just die? Did they? Did they? Did this comic go there? Did, 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 I I can't believe this. Well, <laughs> they they didn't. Uh, it's a page turn away. At least in my collection, it is. Although it's a, yeah, it's it's a there's a page of Gabe and and Dum Dum that you have to get through. 
before you get the page turn where you realize they are alive. Now, both men have been hurt. One has a broken leg. One has a broken arm. And they have to get out of there. Their only way out, though, is past the monsters. And so they've been in search of this great adventure. And now they have, you know, but they were in search of the safe great adventure where they it was man against nature, but semi-contained, semi-controlled. And now they have no control over where they are going. The whitewater rafter, rafting was enough for them, you know, but it's, it's that safe, you know, it's like going on a safari, you know, in, in the middle of Indiana where, yeah, there's lions there, but there's also, you know, a concrete little, um, chasm that's between the road that you're driving on and the lions in their natural habitat, quote unquote. And for this, it's all of a sudden it is nature versus nature. I mean, aside from red Ronin, you've got mammal, giant mammal, giant lizard fighting for survival. And for these four young people to survive, they have to get past them. And so while the ringleader before was one of the men, now he has broken his leg and he is losing hope. He figures there is no way out of this. But then you have one of the women who is pushing and saying, no, no, we are doing this. We are getting out of here. We are going to make it alive. And it's I, I, I expected it to maybe once I knew that they were alive. Um, I, expect, I At first I thought, oh, this is just kind of a random thing. And that whole throwaway line about, you know, this is tough for you girls, you know, is 70s sexism. Well, now I realize it's not 70s sexism. It's 70s reaction to the sexism where you have him making that comment that a guy would say, and maybe would say still today, but then you have the woman is going to prove him wrong. I just wasn't sure how that was going to play out. Of course, in between there, I thought they were dead. So there's there's also that. Uh, I thought they were dead, and then I thought, okay, now we're going to have this woman is proving them wrong. But what I found cool about it was the woman proved them wrong, not just by, oh, we can do anything you can do. It's just, and they didn't even say that. And that's I guess what I appreciate the most about this is they didn't even stop to say, oh, you men, we can do anything you can do. No, it was they proved their steel will. And so you have this battle for survival going on above them, and now you have this battle of survival going on below. And the battle of survival going on below with these whitewater rafting kids or young young men and women, I guess maybe college age, maybe a little bit older than that. Although the one guy does look 30, so I, I don't know. But the battle that's going on below is this battle between we can do it, we must do it, and we can't do it, let's not do it. And so they're trying to, you know, get past them on the rocks. And then there's an avalanche that falls between them and their way out. We are going to go over the avalanche too. We can do it. And and other than that original little line about, you know, it's tough for you girls, uh, there isn't a lot of the whole battle of the sexes going on here. Uh, I mean, it's there. It's implied. The line was said, and so it's there. But I love how the guy with the broken leg he falls he's like it's no use mary i'll never make it he's like, no and so this is her response no where's your spirit of challenge now ron you wanted to conquer the colorado defeat the grand canyon so what do you want why do you want to quit now as long as it's just a game you're ready willing and able but when your life goes on the line you're ready and to fold up and quit is that what you want to do or do you want to face this real challenge and climb this lousy pile of rocks and then he responds, all right, Mary, you've made your point. 
let's go for it. And so I, I just, I, I like that. I like their interaction and I like that they are pushing to survive. And so you have these two tales of the survival instinct. On the one side, you have these four people who are, you know, they get rescued. Gabe and Dum Dum find them. It all comes together at the end. All these three plot lines. So you have this major victory for the four white raf- whitewater rafters. You have Dum Dum and Gabe finding the monsters. They they witness the death of Yatrigar. And then you have Red Ronin flying off. Uh, Rob just flying away because now he has to deal with the consequences of having just killed something. He He's depressed. You know, he actually says, maybe we should just keep flying, Red Ronin, and never stop. Rob has crossed a line. As much as I was surprised by the death of the four rafters, or rather the, the almost death, the fake out death, this whole thing of Rob wanting to keep the peace and, and he can't unless he kills is a very interesting twist for his character. And I'm not sure where they're going to take it, but I'm glad they went there. And this issue of Godzilla, King of the Monsters, it's up there. It's definitely in, in the top half. You know, I, I kind of defined one time, what was I defining? wish I could remember, but, oh, it was the X-Files. On my Strangers and Aliens podcast, I was talking about the X-Files and how the f- first three episodes of the X-Files series, they fall into the good or great half rather than the okay and bad half. And, you know, as far as the Godzilla, King of the Monsters, this falls in on the good or great side. And it actually has some things to think about here. And I'm not sure <laughs> the things that it... The way it wants me to think about things as far as, you know, his, you know, his pacifism or his, again, again it's not pacifism, but it doesn't really make sense. It's not logically consistent. But then again, people aren't logically consistent. And he's a child. And and so in, in that way, I guess it does, you know, there is a childlike logic to what he was trying to do. I must protect this abominable snowman because they're similar to man and they're, you know, they're, they're a mystery and... But I also must protect Godzilla because I've been trying to protect him for 12 issues now. So all things considered, I really enjoyed this issue of Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Uh, the next segment, next coming up, will be... Oh, let's go with Human Fly just to, to get that one out of the way uh, after the debacle that we had with the last couple of issues. We'll see where Human Fly can go for us now. But until next time, whether you're whitewater rafting down, down the Grand Canyon or having the existential struggle about your feelings of peace and non-harm of God's creation. Godspeed to you. Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next episode... Human Fly, number 10, dark as a dungeon, down in the mine.
This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters? Or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. Reality.